Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Mastermind.fm podcast. In this episode, I have with me Andrew Faruja, a friend from back in the days when I was young at school, very good friend who's also been in the content blogging space like me for many years, but in the fitness niche, he's also a fitness trainer and also an accountant in Malta. And today the topic we're going to discuss is buying and selling websites as well as investing in this asset class in general, you know, buying websites. So to do this, we're going to speak to Michael Bereslavsky, who runs um, DomainMagnet.com and is also involved with DealFlow Brokerage. So these two businesses deal with buying and selling websites as well as running a fund that uh, acquires websites to run and then resell at a profit as well as earning income, steady income over the years uh, of their operation. So this is all the stuff we'll discuss in this episode. So if you're interested in this alternative asset class, which I find very interesting and I think it's still very early days, but it's getting it's getting much hotter as a space, I think that you'll find this episode very interesting. So let's get into that right away and uh, hope you enjoy it. A big thanks to the sponsors of this show, Inrento. Inrento makes rental property investment easy. It's a buy to let property crowdfunding platforms that allows investors to easily invest in carefully selected rental properties. Investing with Inrento is similar to owning a rental property. However, with Inrento, you don't have to worry about the day-to-day property management. And in periods of vacancy, you will get still fixed interest payments. And Inrento allows investors to earn passive income from rental properties without having the need to invest large amounts in order to acquire the properties. In rental investments are driven by cash flow and rental contracts, which is considered a lower risk investment. You can hear about Inrento in my interview with Gustas, the founder, in episode 146. To go and explore more about Inrento, visit inrento.com and you can start earning rental income today with investments from 500 euro. Hi Michael, welcome to our show. And to just start it off, let's get you introduced. So tell us about you and what you do. And following that, I would love to hear your experience with the the funds that you are building. We had spoken a couple of years ago when you were first launching this fund. So I'd like to get your perspectives on how that went as well. But to start off, let's uh, just give a brief intro of who you are and what you do. Hi, Jim and Andrew. I'm glad to be here. I am the CEO and founder of Domain Magnate and also partner in DealFlow Brokerage. Uh, and my main expertise for the past 15 or so years have been in acquiring, growing and selling uh, online businesses, mainly content businesses. And since the past two or three years, we've started doing that also with investors. Previously, we were just using our own capital. And uh, initially, about three years ago, we started with buying some smaller sites in the range of from like $10,000 up to maybe fifty dollars or 100000 
and then it was back in 2019, the first time we've started working with investors, and then and we started our first fund at that time also, uh, which we've published the results. And then next year we've moved towards bigger deals with uh, mid, mid uh, five figures and sometimes low six figures. And now this year we are uh, moving further. We've just acquiring six figure businesses and we've launched our third fund now, which is open to all accredited investors. Excellent. So I guess the first question is, why did you choose this progression from lower priced websites and moving on? I guess the obvious answer would be maybe lack of capital to go for the big sites. And perhaps the follow-up question then would be, are you experiencing that it's better or easier to run the bigger sites than the smaller ones? Yeah, very good questions. So first of all, you are correct about the lack of capital. Mm -hmm. Actually, the reason we've started working with investors is just because we've had some really good deals that came to our uh, private deal flow and we didn't have enough capital and couldn't arrange it fast enough. And as you know, good deals, they don't last long, so you have to act quickly. So that was the first reason. And additionally, what I've noticed in, in the past years also that the best range to be is, is from mid six figures to, to mid seven figures. Uh, in terms of acquiring businesses, because this is above the range of uh, most private investors and small groups who are looking to acquire businesses for like a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars tops. And this is below the range of public companies and big private equity firms. So this is the space where there is the least amount of competition and also where you get kind of the, the best of both worlds because you can acquire really well-established businesses, be well-diversified. At the same time, they still have many opportunities for growth because they often not manage that well. Another reason is that I've seen that it's not very practical to have a very large portfolio. And you may have heard of the income store and what, what they've tried to do is they've raised about $100 million and then they've been buying a lot of small sites. And then they just collapsed at some point and it turned out to be a Ponzi scheme. And I don't know all the details about it, but one of the lessons from that also is that it's really difficult to manage a very large portfolio. So what we've seen is we can manage like 20 businesses, 30 businesses. And uh, if it's bigger businesses, we don't require uh, like linearly more time to manage. So, so a business that you acquire for $100,000 versus a business that you acquire for a million dollars, it's not going to take 10 times more management time and effort, maybe like two or three times more. So there is quite a lot of economy of scale here at play. Yeah, I agree. So I don't know if Andrew told you earlier that he has his own blog in the fitness space and I've been building content sites myself over the past 20 years, I think. So we know how much time and effort it takes to run these blogs or content sites and so I guess my question next would be, are you targeting a specific type of website when you go out to get to find deals? Yeah, we are targeting uh, content and SaaS businesses. We have primarily traffic from organic search from Google. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
So I think what I would like to do now is have Andrew take the position of a prospective investor and let's go through the, the questions that would typically pop up when somebody is considering this alternative asset class, right? Because not many people, I think, are aware of this opportunity. So, so Michael, um, first of all, I would like to ask you, um, as an investor, when you look at a, at a website that you perhaps you, you were interested in buying in, um, what are the main risks as an investor that one should be um, on the lookout for before taking the plunge? Yeah, good question. So it, it varies quite a bit based on the type of the website. And I look at due diligence from basically two sides. One side is, is you have a checklist, you have a bunch of things that you know you need to check for each business, for each type of website. And the other side is more experiential kind of a gut feeling. So after I've seen thousands of different deals, I would often just look at the deal and, and basically know right away personally if it's likely to be good or bad. I'm still going to do all the due diligence and our team helps with that as well. But a lot of that is also kind of gut feeling. So it's difficult to explain on them, um, like it's difficult to explain the gut feeling on a beginner level. But there are also several things primarily that I look for these days. So when it comes to organic search, the biggest risk is people doing kind of gray hat, black hat SEO. So people who are doing really aggressive SEO and building links, uh, building a lot of commercial content quickly. And then you would see the site kind of going up on a trajectory on, on the revenues, like really, really rapidly going up. And this is one of the biggest risks because what, what goes up also comes down. So for us, we primarily look for businesses that are more well established, that have, uh, that like more defensible, that have a longer track record, longer revenue history, that don't use any aggressive SEO or other marketing uh, techniques. So that's one, uh, one side of it. And the other thing, and that is uh, related to the risks. And the other thing is we want to see something that we are good at managing. So something that's similar to what we have experienced and something that has some opportunities for growth. So we try not to buy sites on like very small niches. So like, like an underwater basket weaving, because that would be a site that's just, there is nowhere to grow. So we try to buy sites that are on more, more generic niches or something that's, that has opportunity to grow and expand further. Thank you. So what I understand is that, okay, it's good, obviously, as a website owner to, to be well versed with SEO, because that is very important in obviously getting customers to your website, which will eventually translate into more returns. However, if you are too aggressive on SEO um, marketing, then it might penalize your value in, in the eyes of an investor like you. However, um, uh, as uh, as an owner of a website who has never really gone into monetizing through content, I've been delivering um, a lot of content over the years. And as John mentioned, it takes a lot of time to, to deliver um, valuable content. How uh, What would you suggest um, uh, um, that a way forward would be for me to convert the current content that I have into something which actually can make money? Um, sure. 
So you mentioned you have a fitness blog and can you give me what kind of traffic is it receiving and what's the search intent, like what uh, most audience are looking for on the blog? So um, uh, mostly I um, uh, I blog about sustainable, healthy living. So um, being able to, you know, own the body that you like without doing crazy things and while feeling healthy and being a good person, basically. So in terms of traffic, when I used to, to blog on a monthly basis or even on a weekly basis, I, I would get perhaps around um, uh, at best 3,000 um, visitors per week. But uh, in terms of um, my online shop, which gives personalized training and nutrition plans, it was more attractive to people who knew me personally rather than, you know, people who just happened to find me organically through, through Google. Yeah, so from a quick uh, glance, I mean, I haven't seen the site, but based on the details you mentioned, the best thing is always to sell your own service. So if you have your own service, your own product, that's always going to make you more money and, and you know, bring more, more joy probably. <laughs> so selling your personal training services is probably the best. And then for people who might not be able to do that, you can also do some online training. I've seen a lot of different uh, websites who are very successful with selling online courses and training in the fitness space, something like a training program, a customized training program that you could do for people. could be a course, it could be a long ebook, a series of videos. So that would probably be ideal. And then you could also work on your like public image, Instagram and other things so that you can gather a bigger following from the content sites and that space, that's what I've generally seen to be most successful financially. Can I just hop in here? So if someone like Andrew has been producing good content, totally organic, he's just explaining what he knows to the people, right? If he says, okay, I want to ramp up into traffic and I want to go worldwide, I don't want to focus on services. I just want the site to generate money. Does it make sense? Because uh, Andrew, in this case, is not an expert in monetization or online stuff. It's just something that we built together and to give him a platform to share his knowledge, basically. But for example, I have more knowledge in, in monetizing a website. Would it make sense for somebody with Andrew's profile to buy an existing fitness site, of which there are quite a lot from the listings that I come across? and integrate that into his site to be able to monetize and gain a lot of new traffic? Yeah, that's actually an interesting idea. So that's something we've done before. It's kind of kind of a strategic acquisition, mm-hmm. maybe on a slightly smaller scale. So, for example, what we've done is we've sold a few sites like that to strategic acquirers. One time uh, I sold a site about drug abuse to a company that, that was running multiple drug react centers and the site was monetized through adsense at the time and it was making reasonably good revenue but for them because each client is worth uh, thousands of dollars compared to adsense where you get like 10 cents per click so mm-hmm. they would be able to monetize it much better so here potentially andrew would have similar opportunity uh, the site would have to be a good fit for for the services that that Andrew would offer, but then definitely um, you could target a site that's monetized through ads or maybe some affiliate offers and then just put your own offers in there. 
I would say you have to look at two things primarily. You have to look at the fit. Like, does it actually fit um, the the countries that people come from, the search intent of the audience? Does it fit with your uh, with your offer, with your service? Yeah, and secondly, you'd, you'd also have to look at, at the numbers. So maybe it's a site that's already very well monetized, uh, and if it has a very high RPM, like very high revenue per, per visitor, per thousand visitors, then and you probably know your own revenue per, per visitor as well, right, based on your own site. So then you can look at the numbers and see if it makes sense. And I think another interesting question would be, is it from your experience easier for Andrew to sell his site to someone looking for a strategic acquisition or for him to buy an existing site that's already monetized? Yeah, it's easier to buy, I would say, because mm-hmm. selling, selling personal sites is a bit challenging if, if, if it's your own personal blog and the buyers usually don't like it very much because it is so tied to you. And also the traffic is not, not high enough to really gather a lot of attention among buyers, especially strategic buyers. And in terms of certain niches, now I know that you're very interested in fitness as well. So you know what works and what's budget basically. <laughs> but a lot of the websites I've seen for sale, when I go through them, it's just like this website is obviously trying to sell some Amazon affiliates or very basic like the content would have nothing to do with quality websites like Andrews. So I would struggle to fit them together. Is it easier possible to find good quality websites and are there certain niches where the affiliate partnerships are very thin and you cannot really partner with anyone to make it work? Yeah. So the biggest challenge currently in the industry right now is that the all the marketplaces are populated by these lower quality websites. So maybe like more than 90% of websites you would see at marketplaces and broker listings, especially in the ro- low ranges, uh, generally like, like what you mentioned, mm-hmm. affiliate offers, affiliate review articles, and they're quite risky and they're usually new. So it's hard to find quality businesses built out of passion like Kendra's blog. Those are rare to come by. Uh, that's also why we, at the main market, we really focus a lot on finding this kind of deals. So we look everywhere. We also do outreach. We network with a lot of business owners to try to get deals directly. So that's a big, um, big focus for us as well. And, and how easy it is. Let's say Andrew is interested in a quality site, but a quality site might run to 500k to 1 million and he has the qualities for running the site, but he doesn't have the financing site. Is it possible for what you to arrange something or do you help people in such situations? No, we don't really deal with that. The only option that I know of is, is you have a small business loans in US. I can't really tell you about how it works in other countries, but mm-hmm. in US, if the business qualifies, generally it has to have like two or three years of of tax returns, revenue and everything, then you can get a loan and the terms are usually quite good. And in terms of revenue traffic, do you have like figures in your head, like for a hundred thousand visitors a month, you should be getting 
this range of revenue? Is it something standard across the industry or not? Yeah, sure. But it varies a lot on niche. Mm-hmm. So, for example, right now, some of the sites we are buying, like one of them has about uh, 6,000 visitors per month only, but it's making more than $10,000 per month in, in revenue. Mm-hmm. While uh, another is getting about a hundred thousand visitors per month and only making like four thousand dollars per month in revenue, so it really varies wildly. But it depends on the monetization type. So if it's monetized through ad networks like Google AdSense, uh, MediaVine, and similar, you could predict relatively accurately, like based on the average industry RPMs, which is the data you could find publicly. And uh, if it's monetized for affiliate offers, similarly, you could compare. Or if it's monetized through uh, selling leads, uh, that's, that can usually be more lucrative. So. And what would be the top niches and top ways of monetizing that you have seen? Yeah, the top niches, if you mean like most profitable, that yeah. would be like finance, gambling. We don't usually deal with those because they're too competitive and it's harder to like find good deals and grow. So we we prefer this kind of boring niches uh, like cats, dogs, things like that. Things that just never change. Like dog breeds, you could have a site that you don't update like after 20 years because it's kind of the same. Yeah, so it's not necessarily a good idea to go after highest RPM or highest revenue per visitors. I think for the buyers, it's best to go after niches that you that you understand, niches that, that are growing, that have opportunities and limited risks. Mm-hmm. And with regards to monetization, then what would be the top ways of monetizing a site? Yeah, so uh, the easiest way is usually check the top websites in Google. Just look what, what are the top websites ranking in Google for the topic and then see how they monetized because someone has already thought about that mm-hmm. <laughs> and did all the research. But uh, to actually answer your question, so the the least profitable is typically just ad network, like AdSense and MediaVine. That's usually kind of the least profitable. That's the easiest option to set up. The most profitable would generally be uh, selling your own products, your own courses through like a well-optimized funnel or selling leads. So like if you have extremely targeted traffic, let's say people looking for payday loans, and then you just sell them leads that, that pay a lot of money. Or like if you have a site about gambling and you just um, send them to casinos. So that was kind of the best. Mm-hmm. And with regard to the fitness niche, is it one of the most, the best niches or too competitive in your view? It's, it's a very wide niche. So there is a lot of different uh, things there. If you're talking about specifically personal fitness, yeah, I would say it's quite a popular niche now. It's going to be difficult to rank for top keywords. But as a coach, if you're looking for like local clients, that's generally easier if you're just looking for clients in your own town. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you could always find some keywords, even in a competitive niche, some topics that are a bit less competitive. Okay. Uh, Andrew, did you have any questions on the buying side? Yes, in terms of, uh, I'm going to wear my financial hat now, in terms of, you know, I'm setting a value to, to a website. I know that uh, you use um, a multiplier, 
based on earnings. So is that specific multiplier subjective to you or is it um, uh, an industry standard multiplier? Yeah, there is generally uh, an industry standard kind of price range. So right now, typically most online businesses sell for between two years, between two um, like years of profit uh, up to maybe three and a half years of profit, something like that. So to explain it to our maybe less technical uh, listeners, if you want to buy a website that's earning $100,000 per year, you'd expect to pay something like $300,000. Sorry, or profits. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry, profits. Uh, when it comes to content sites, revenue and profits are usually similar because the, the costs are relatively low, but yeah, it's best to always look at profits. So, the, and that also varies based on, based on type of business. So if it's a SaaS business, usually it would, it would be higher multiple. If it's uh, like a new content website, content affiliate site, it might be a low multiple because the risk is higher. All right. And then in terms of profit, would that be before tax or after tax? Because tax is specific to the country where probably the, the website is hosted. Yeah, it's always before tax. Tax is not, not included. Yeah. What I've seen is when I have seen the, the pricing, it's always the net profit versus revenue always seems to me as a content creator to be not realistic, you know, like... I find that when I see these sites, I feel that they are underestimating the work involved uh, for running these sites, or perhaps I spend too much time running it myself. You know, no, that's know. <laughs> that's that's true. Actually, like that's um, that's also another common theme now in the industry that people, especially people selling these affiliate sites, they generally just put the minimum expenses, and it's sometimes it's just hilarious to look. You would see a website earning. $10,000 per month and it has like $5 per month in hosting expenses and then like another $20 in uh, like some tools expenses or plugins and then that's it and then maybe occasionally they add like expenses for content like $195 for content once every three months it's just driven by the market because most buyers look at numbers they don't go too deep into the understanding of it but as a buyer then what how should i deal with it you know like should i just assume that that's the market and basically we're we're saying that we're selling as a multiple of profit but really it's more revenue or or should i be negotiating hard to bring the number down because i know that the profit is lower than what they're showing yeah good question it depends what where you're buying it if you are buying it privately you should definitely like try to negotiate politely. <laughs> and what we usually do with our private deals also is we try to make a reasonable assessment on what would be the expenses involved in operating the business and then come back with that to the seller. So like this other is realistic expenses, this is realistic profit, and this is the multiple on the profit that we want to offer you. And people usually understand that, so they, they see it as reasonable. But if you are buying through maybe through a closed auction marketplace, you might not have an opportunity to really uh, negotiate like that. And so could you tell us when a deal goes through, what's the process there? How do, how do we build trust between the buyer and the seller? 
and how's the transition like you know how does the domain change hands the hosting is there any kind of help involved in the beginning weeks or months Yes, so I can tell you, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the typical process and then I'll yeah. give you more details about how we do it uh, based on our experience. So the typical process is, well, it depends, of course, where you buy it, if it's privately or through a marketplace or through uh, like a broker. But uh, generally, first of all, there would be some negotiating. Once the price is agreed upon, the price and the terms you would either sign some agreement or just have a kind of agreement through email or through discussion. Then you might have a call or a chat. You don't necessarily need to do that. And then uh, the main thing is the transaction goes through escrow, like an escrow.com or another escrow service. Uh, marketplaces now offer their own escrow services as well often. And the escrow service, the way it typically works is the buyer, they agree on terms and the buyer deposits the funds. The escrow service holds the funds, and then the seller uh, transfers everything, pushes the domain to the buyer, uh, the hosting account or the website files and database, call the social accounts and everything. Then the buyer generally has a few days, depending on what, what was agreed upon, to review and uh, confirm that everything is good. And that's it, and then the funds are released. Uh, that's the general process. Uh, the way we do it is we've uh, improved it a bit over the years and after hundreds of deals. So what we do is, first of all, we always do a call with the seller to, to verify finances, to ask some questions, and also to see just to you know to see the person, you know, to see the person's face to make sure that there is some some trust established. And then we make sure that we are very clear on the terms because it's very easy to get some some uh, miscommunication on things like the deal structure. Let's say you're buying a business for 200,000 and 150,000 is paid after the transfer. And then like another 50,000 is conditioned upon performance. Mm -hmm. So in the past, what we've had is people felt that the condition was fulfilled and they want the extra funds. And we felt that it was not. So we try to be as, um, as clear as possible in, in, in the agreements. So we add everything to the agreement, we sign the agreement, then we do a transaction for escrow.com or through the marketplace escrow. And uh, we generally ask for like a five or seven day inspection period so we can confirm revenues, transfer everything. And that's it. And then we also ask some after sales support from the seller when possible. Okay, interesting. So my follow up question, what do you offer website management services? Yes, so we have uh, two main, uh, we basically have like one product <laughs> that we offer, and the product is finding deals, mm -hmm. uh, buying businesses, and then managing them. So that's kind of the main thing to do. We, we buy businesses and then we grow them. We don't usually do just just uh, management services because uh, we've, Previously, people asked us to do it, and they would often come to us with sites that we just would not have bought them like ever. And we would not want to uh, to work on websites that we would not have bought, that would not have passed our uh, due diligence. So we typically only manage sites that we acquire for, for customers. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, one question to, to Michael, if I may. Um, 
how would you determine um, the the growth potential of a particular website you might be looking into? Yeah, very good question. So we look at in all our due diligence, we look at three different parameters. First, first we look at numbers, and that means like looking at trends, at seasonal trends, at industry trends. So uh, specifically, we would we would look at how the trends might develop with this topic if it's something that's growing, something that's stable. And then the next thing is we would look at risks in our due diligence. That's very important to assess the risks, to see how we're going to mitigate them. And finally, to look at opportunities. So in content businesses, the main opportunities typically come from improving monetization, updating, optimizing content, also expanding more content into like some similar topics in that niche that haven't been covered yet and uh, also doing seo like drawing backlinks and um and potentially social media as well okay and uh, so you you offer according to what i've seen on the website you offer like a brokerage where you help people buy or sell and then you have the fund is that a correct assessment of what you do yeah, the brokerage company is still slow brokerage, so this is independent from, from domain magnet. And for deal flow brokerage, we represent sellers. So people who want to sell their business can come to us and list it with us. And um, we have a large number of buyers looking for content businesses as well and others. And for domain magnet, the services we offer are only buyer sites. So we only work with buyers and investors who want to acquire businesses. Okay. And then, yeah, the, the buy managed service is the main service we provide, except besides our funds, is where we find a deal for the investor and we acquire it and then we manage it. So if I go on your website, I can go on the, on the domainmagnet.com. One can see the sure. buy section where you can buy sites. Now, as, as, oh, yeah, this is, uh, yeah, this is only for our own portfolio sites that we sometimes use ah, for okay. sale. Okay. So we, or occasionally sell them for the website. Okay. So obviously as a buyer, my question would be, why are you selling them no? if they're good? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a reasonable question. We get that question frequently, but there is, there's a few reasons. So sometimes we sell them because that's what the investor wants. Cause most of the sites are managed by investor for, for investors. Other times we, uh, well, quite frankly, we generally just acquire sites and try to grow them as much as we can. And then if at some point we feel that it's going to be difficult for us to grow further and we feel that the risk might be higher, so we just prefer to sell it. And then uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's like a bad business or a bad deal. It just means that based on our experience, our team's expertise, that's how it is. But for somebody else, they uh, like for them, it might just be the perfect fit to go and grow further. Yeah, actually, I'm seeing here... Uh, the professional WordPress team start business and coming from the WordPress space where I've been building products for the past 15 years, my assumption would be that you would have bought it because you saw a potential to improve maybe the design or SEO, but then you don't have the, because like to run this type of website, you need specific expertise in building coding, you know, marketing to the WordPress community. And I can see where element would be reached from the marketing standpoint, and then you would want to sell to someone 
who's a developer-minded person who can create more teams in this case. So what you said makes sense within this particular context that I just came across here. Yeah, that's that's I think that's an accurate assessment. So it's a business we've owned for about two years, and we haven't really been able to grow it much. So it's been mostly stable. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, so we decided it's best to just sell it. It's not um, it's not a great fit for our expertise. Yeah. Okay. So what kinds of markets do you typically see? Is it almost entirely the English-speaking content that we're looking at here? Or do you also consider, you know, other languages? Yeah, for us, we only deal with English-speaking sites. But actually, that's uh, that's an interesting point currently because you could really find great deals in other languages, mm -hmm. and they are often cheaper and like more more established businesses that you can acquire. Uh, the biggest challenge with other languages is there is just not that big of a market. So if you acquire a website in in uh, Spanish, for example which is possibly the second biggest market mm -hmm. in, um, in our space after English. You can find better deals, but it would be difficult to resell later. Mm. And in terms of like traffic, would it be very US centric or do you find success with non-US traffic as well? Uh, yeah, we, uh, we have some businesses with mainly UK traffic, Australian traffic. Mm -hmm. We, uh, we've had some sites with Indian traffic as well, but we prefer not to acquire those because uh, Indian traffic is generally a lot cheaper, so it's harder to monetize. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, from my experience, even when I try to target, say, the European market, it still ends up with 60-70% of the traffic being from the US. Yeah. So that's where I feel the bulk plus it's harder to monetize in certain niches non-us traffic because there simply aren't let's say in the financial space the us platforms would pay much better have better affiliate programs so it's much easier to target that market yeah absolutely let's change our hats here for a moment and say me and andrew are partnering up to manage our funds to money and we want to go into alternative investing alternative asset classes we came upon websites and we want to just have a hands hands off approach where we just invest the money and go into a fund so i've been monitoring the space for many years now but the fund is really an interesting concept for me because i can understand enough to know whether somebody is scamming me or not <laughs> but i don't want to actually get into the, the the weeds with running more websites than i currently do so the fund is very attractive to me um yeah tell us more about the fund like sell it to us i just want to know why it would be a good investment for us sure so the fund is open to all accredited investors and the, the minimum is $120,000. And just to stop you there, accredited investors, maybe a US concept, which you would maybe want to explain, but for, for European investors, how would that work? Yeah, it's the same uh, everywhere. So if you are investing personally, it's, mm -hmm. you have to have a net worth of more than $1 million or as I think a salary of 
$200,000 annually for the past couple of years, something like that. Uh, generally, it's just a letter from your accountant or some kind of bank letter that that's mm -hmm. usually enough to verify. But we are uh, we are forced to do this because of the U.S. regulations. Yeah. Okay, and is it the same restrictions with companies? So with companies, it's it's a bit different. You you can either do it as an individual, as an individual in the company. If the individual is accredited, then I think the company is considered accredited as well. Or alternatively, if it's just the company based on company assets and the requirement is higher, I think it's more than $5 million. Okay. But to my knowledge, there is no restriction in, in Europe, right? To, to this accredited investment. I know that they have some kind of similar thing in the UK, but I have never come across it in Europe uh, in general. Is it something that you implement straight across the board or is it a European regulation? Yeah, we the fund is based in US, so we okay. have to comply okay. with the US regulations. Yeah, we've we've never looked into setting up funds in Europe, so I don't have enough knowledge on that. Okay. All right. Um I, I threw you off the rails a bit with this question, but I want to know more about the fund, right? So once sure. we've established that we're eligible to invest, what's so tell us more about the fund. Yes. Yeah, so the fund, uh, the fundraising started uh, just recently, basically uh, this week, and it's going to run for six months. We aim to raise up to $10 million, and uh, then we're going to acquire between five and 10 businesses targeting that range from mid-six figures to like mid to, to low, mid-seven figures, and we are going to focus only on content and sales businesses. And we'll generally, we actually already have some deals lined up from our private um, deal flow that we are excited to, to get funded. And, and basically, the plan is just to, to find the best deals we can, acquire them, and then grow them and resell them. The fund has a five-year term. And after the, sec after the one year after the start, we'll start paying quarterly dividends because it's going to take us some time to acquire the businesses. And then once we resell a business, an individual business, uh, we will immediately distribute the profits to investors as well. And the structure is 65% of the profits are distributed to investors, and uh, 35 is uh, taken as our management fee. Okay, so those are the only fees, right? The 35% of profits. Uh, yeah, there is also a 2% management fee uh, for the first year and 1% uh, for subsequent years, which will uh, go to help fund our uh, outreach and due diligence and kind of deal acquisition process. And so when you take the cut of profits, it's both on dividends and both on the, and also on the sale of the asset. Yeah, that's right. Okay, and the structure of the fund, what kind of fund is it, like a legal setup? If I were to invest, yeah, what would I be investing in? Yeah, it's legally set up through Assure, which is one of the biggest uh, fund management companies in the US. And we are using their platform called Glassboard. So if you are investing, you would log in through Glassboard and then go through that process. And then you'll be able to see all the details through that platform as well. Um, 
Yeah, and it's uh, under 506C regulation, um, which, which means that it's only for accredited investors and that we are able to offer it to the general public. So it's uh, it's legally, can legally be called a fund as it sells okay. securities. Great. And in terms of liquidity, is there some kind of secondary market or do you have to go for the whole five-year term? Yeah, that's a good question. I'll have to check with the lawyers, to be honest, to confirm. But I think most likely there is no no liquidity option here. So you do have to go for the full term. So you don't have an option to resell. Yeah. Okay. But this is not the first fund that you've raised. So can you tell us more about the previous rounds, previous funds, and what you learned from those experiences? Yeah, the first fund we've started sort of just grew organically back in late 2018. I didn't know anything about like raising capital or getting investors, so I just sent an email to uh, to like a small list of followers that I had, and they asked, "Hey, are we thinking about getting some investor capital? Anyone interested?" And received a few responses, and then set up some calls and started talking to some people. And we ended up with doing one deal with one investor. So we acquired one business with him and he funded it. And then he quite liked it. So he invited actually some of his family members to join. And then we acquired a few more businesses and then we organized it into a fund. So it's proper uh, setup. And in that first fund, we've acquired nine businesses so far in the first. Uh, one and a half years, so we've released the datum, the results. It had a return of 135% in the first year and a half. Okay, and so this is the second fund that you're creating. No, and the, the second fund we started recently, it's like less than half a year ago, so we acquired uh, two deals, and there is a third one that we are acquiring in soon. So this one would be our third fund. Okay, and how do you manage the deals though? Are are the funds then not competing with each other in terms of acquiring these new sites that come in? Uh, yeah, so the the first two funds were very small. So the first one had only about five hundred fifty thousand dollars in in capital invested. The second fund, the second one has about four hundred thousand invested. So the deals are generally smaller. Uh, also, we plan to discontinue them because these funds are generally like short term. They are not intended to last for many years. They're usually intended to last for like a year, two or three at most. So by the time that we, we've set up the third fund and start buying, we would be able to only focus on, on that fund. And in terms of team, who's managing this fund? What kind of reassurance can you give to the investors that there's a knowledgeable team in place? It's not just, I mean, there's some substance of team with knowledge and experience who can manage these sites. Yeah, I'm personally managing the fund, the team, and we have a team of about 15 people at the main magnate mm-hmm. who are um, managers who manage businesses, um, in operations and tech, in deal flow as well in different departments. So they will be focusing on managing those, the fund and the businesses as well. And we also have three advisors who are 
uh, reputable experienced people from the industry that bring the expertise to help us navigate things better. Very good. Um, last question I have from my end is for someone investing into such funds. How, how much transparency is there about what's going on? How are the websites, each individual website is doing? And could I use it as a kind of learning experience where I, I watch this whole uh, development process and I get to learn what the experts would do to monetize better a particular website? Yes. So we always try to be as transparent as possible with our investors in the, in the first to fund and the third fund as well, we'll provide monthly reports on all businesses uh, or revenues, expenses, how they are doing, and then more detailed quarterly reports with um, our decisions, our plans, what we are working on, and also, of course, quarterly distributions. Uh, so you could definitely learn from that. And we also had uh, some of our investors through BuyManage who want to buy individual businesses they actually often go through that program because they want to learn themselves. So they would uh, come to us, we would help them find and acquire a business and then we manage it for them. But during that period, they are also able to read our reports, to review, to ask questions so that they feel more comfortable to do their next deal alone. Mm -hmm. Actually, I have one more question with regards to, so the fund is in dollars, so I would invest in dollars, I imagine, since it's based in the US. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And with regards to taxation, are there any withholding taxes once you distribute the profits? Well, we do not withhold any taxes as a fund. The taxes are passed to the individual investors, but uh, then you, you'd have to look at your own uh, country or jurisdiction about that. Okay. Uh, Andrew, did you have anything else from your end? Yes. Um, a specific question in relation to, to funds. So as an investor, um, uh, what would be the worst case scenario in terms of returns? So imagine I, I invest in uh, $200,000 and um, uh, the, the way I can make money through that is that after you buy the, the websites through, through the, the invested money, you would start obviously earning the returns, which you would be distributing as dividends. And then after the five-year turn, specifically to the new fund, you would be selling um, uh, the, the websites that you that you have bought in the beginning and uh, distributing the returns in the 65-35% um, ratio. However, what would be the, the worst case scenario for an investor in terms of the returns received? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. It's a little challenging to answer because, I mean, the worst case scenario is kind of the same as it is in any investment. You might end up losing all your money. And I think that's possible in pretty much any investment. Even if you buy real estate, there are potential things that could cause you to lose just all your money or most of it. It's extremely unlikely, like extremely unlikely, but it's always a possibility. Um, other than that, the, like I mentioned, the industry average is around three years of, of profits. So, the, the 200,000 you invest would be uh, used to buy a business that is earning something like six, seven thousand dollars per month, right? Uh, yeah, something like uh, sixty thousand dollars per year in profit. And uh, the 
that 65% of that profit will be distributed to you. Uh, we have, based on our past history, so out of every 10 deals, we kind of expect that one or two of them might not go well. Sometimes it can be like free. Not go well might mean that uh, we'll break even, actually. We'll just like recover things. Maybe it will drop a little bit, but we'll make some profits and then we'll resell it and we're just like close to breaking even. Or it might also mean that we would lose like half of the business value. So it's possible. But since it's a fund, and, and we've had that with individual deals, of course, but since it's a fund, we we also really focus on making it well diversified. So we'll be uh, looking at diversifying across different industries, different types of businesses and niches. So we really want to uh, eliminate this kind of risk of, of one event, uh, like killing most of the revenues. Okay, and I've got one last question. Um, if I understand correctly, at the end of the five-year term, you would be selling the website that you bought. Yeah, so we'll be selling the websites actually earlier. So, but then some uh, based on a specific business, we would do an assessment for each business we acquire of when is the optimal time to sell it. Sometimes we would resell after two years and then distribute profits, but the longest is is after the five years. Um, and generally, so, so we would we would aim to resell everything before the the end of the term, five years. If you don't manage to sell a website, what would happen to the value of that website in terms of this? Uh, yeah, so there is a few options. We might just put it on an auction and sell it. And these days, there is such a high demand that anything that makes profit, you'll be able to resell generally. Also, we may uh, look into an option of reselling the whole portfolio to another to another acquirer, to another private equity firm. Or there is also an option to extend it, extend the term. If you feel that there is some really great upside, we might look into extending it even. All right. So any concluding comments from your end, Michael, before we close it off? Yeah, I'd say that uh, for your listeners, but I think it's really an exciting uh, investment opportunity, an exciting industry. I would definitely suggest people to learn those, to understand how things work. Maybe start with a smaller investment, even like buy a small website for $1,000, $5,000 and see that as your learning money because that will teach you most of what you need to know about managing a much bigger business as it's not that different when it comes to content size. Also, we do have a requirement for, for our investors that we only want to to take money from people that understand what is like understand the risks and understand the industry more or less. So we generally require that people either have some previous experience with online business or with investing in online businesses, or at least like really understand the risks. Uh, and uh, you are welcome to check out our service at domainmagnate.com and I'll go to domainmagnatecapital.com to see the details of our upcoming fund. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, Michael, for joining us. And yeah, look forward to seeing the results of this new fund. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, John and Andrew. Pleasure to chat with you. Thank you. So that's a wrap for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And as usual, I ask you to leave a five-star review on iTunes if you like the show and all the other shows we've produced so far. Please let us know if there is any other 
topic that you'd like us to tackle or platform to review. We're very open for hearing from you, your opinions, whether you like the shows we're producing. And yeah, just to view, if you've been listening to this show for the past few episodes or it's the first episode that you listen, we'd really, really appreciate if you could even just get in touch and tell us how you're finding it, what you'd like us to improve and things like that. So the email is podcast at mastermind.fm. Again, podcast at mastermind.fm. And you can also find, find us on Twitter at mastermind.fm. That's it for today from us and see you in the next episode.